is Queer Media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And uh, we do also have on the line Sebastian, who is uh, joining us as well from Ottawa, jumping in remotely. So for our listeners who may not be familiar, this is the first time that we are bringing uh, Can Queer, the LGBT Common Affairs talk show, to the CIUT Airwaves. How are you doing there, Sebastian? I'm I'm doing well. Okay, had... having trouble just picking you up, so we'll uh, we'll figure that out. I'm sad. Oh, nope. There we go. I got you. <laughs> Yay. It has been a little while since I found myself behind the board. So this is uh, <laughs> this is just, uh, you know, growing paints. Now, we are brand new uh, broadcasting to the entire GTA, which is very exciting. And mm -hmm. uh, I want to bring in our first guest for today. We have two interviews lined up today, which I've dropped on you very last minute, Sebastian. I am sorry yeah. about that. Yes, but, you did. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's welcome in our first uh, um our first guest, which is uh, Sherman Modesta, who is the executive director for the Pride Toronto, um, who I'm hoping will be able to speak to us a little bit about what is on the books for the, happening this year in Toronto, at, uh, sorry, at uh, Pride in Toronto. We'll just give uh, give Sherwin a quick second here to connect by uh, on, on the call. Um, but in the meantime, coming up later in the show, we will be discussing a, a health initiative out of Vancouver around uh, sort of really working to create uh, sort of, you know, really work with the gay community on uh, drug addiction, specifically around party and play. So we'll mm -hmm. be diving into that a little later on. And then later on, we're going to be talking about, which I didn't, I'm not sure if you have read much about this, uh, Sebastian, but... Uh, uh, Rebel Wilson is going to be a topic of conversation later today as well. Oh yes, yes. Did you? How did you miss that? It's been everywhere. Everyone's like, I feel like lots of people have been talking about it. Oh, good lord! All right, well, okay. All right, but let's let, let's jump into it. Excellent. <laughs> so we'll be getting into that just a little later today. There's also a bunch of other news stories uh, that we have seen. Uh, we're having a little trouble getting uh, Shuwen's. Uh, mic to connect by the by the looks of it oh i think we might have you now yes excellent thank you so much for joining us so uh in today's show we're just pretty much going to be talking i'm sure we can ask you very thorny difficult questions about pride toronto <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe we'll get to those on another day. Um, but, uh, with this close to the actual parade and, and the festivities happening, uh, in the, you know, the provincial capital, what is, what's on the agenda? Cause, you know, my understanding that this is the first big in person since the, uh, since the pandemic ended our, uh, our ability to meet in person. So what's new for, for Pride Toronto this year? No, no, and thank you for um, for having me. But this year, we have definitely gone out of our way to make sure that, it, <coughs> excuse me, everyone is accommodated and can see themselves in pride. Um, so we started on June first with our, you know, our kickoff, and we're going all the way to June thirty first. So if we look at throughout the city of Toronto, we have art installation which is a new thing for Pride Toronto, really reflecting some of the visual art of the queer community. Um, we also have a, a series of events that are taking place. Um, 
this week we have our cabana pool party um, later on in the week we have our seniors pride and our island party and festival weekend we're going to be climaxing with our trans march on friday our dyke march on saturday and our festival parade on sunday but on top of that we also have included our family pride sober pride you know deaf and hard of hearing pride and the list goes on of the different activities that we will be having and our artists our amazing artists that we have lined up for the festival it is to die for that really does seem to be one of the advantages of the, the bigger city prides is that you can do all these highly specialized events and uh you have the resources you have hopefully the the number of volunteers that it takes to make this happen because i know for a lot of not-for-profits getting enough volunteers could be a struggle uh and you definitely have the community that would be interested in in this many uh diverse events it, it sounds like it could be uh pretty exciting and pretty interesting and if you don't normally like pride chances are there's some event out there for you somewhere and that's and that's the key you hit the nail on the head it's really making sure that we can attract everyone that everyone that have an interest in some form of art and some form of political statement will be able to see themselves reflected in pride and we were very intentional mm -hmm. in doing this um, this weekend for last weekend for example we were on friday we were at scarborough civic center on saturday we were at dunsview park and on sunday we were at mimico park and what we were doing is taking pride outside of the downtown and mm. i can tell you the the folks were just happy we had people coming from mississauga from new market because they wanted to celebrate pride without having to be on church street they mm. wanted a smaller crowd one of the things that we're also going to be doing we know that we're coming from a pandemic not everyone is comfortable coming out as yet so we also will be live streaming different aspects of our program we're also going to for the first time in pride history we are including attendant care throughout the footprint of the festival so queer folks with disability or allies with disability who may need an some a little bit of support to be able to enjoy the festival will also have that opportunity so it's really making Pride as accessible as it is for everyone to participate. How do people find these, these helpers? Are there like little flags or little tents or is there a website you can go to to locate them? Yes, definitely. So on our Pride Toronto website, you will you go onto the accessible accessibility link and this will give you a schedule and location of where the attendance will be throughout the weekend also where our asl interpreters will be throughout the festival weekend all of our harm reduction support will be listed there also now i know that your your park events have already been incredibly well received i'm you know i'm i'm now in toronto and uh 
folks in the area were, you know, everybody, I feel like everybody was at the park. Um, it's funny you said, you know, less of a crowd, and I, I heard there was about 500 people there. So, But, I mean, spread out over a lot of green space is a lot more different than uh, squished into the woodies, uh, you know. So it, uh, I, I yes. think that certainly makes a lot more sense. Do you think that there is a sort of anxious anticipation to get into Pride and go into the events? And, and I want to just kind of compound that question by also asking... You know, there are so many young queer folks who are 18, 19, 20, who have really discovered or self-actualized their sexualities during the pandemic for whom, uh, you know, being in a, in a, you know, in a pride parade has, has never been possible. You know, this is going to be a really big first pride for a lot of people. And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, have mercy. You, <laughs> I guess you're asking me all the, the questions that I just love. So <laughs> one of the things that we have done, we have expanded the footprints of the festival. So this year, for the first time, we are going to be at Nathan Phillips Square. Because again, we want to we be able to give folks as much space as possible. There is no other pride that we are aware of that has the number of stages and the number of curated programs that we have. So what that really does, it gives folks an opportunity to not all gather in one location. The other, <coughs> sorry, the other piece, as you ask about um, folks that are going, this is gonna be their first pride. We actually have a contingent um, this year that is called My First Pride. And this is giving folks an opportunity who have never been part of a pride celebration, an opportunity to partake and to march in the celebration. And within our goal was to get a hundred people. And we had it open for the goal, leave it open for three weeks. Within three days, we were over capacity at 100. And it's not just young folks, believe you me, there's a lot of seniors and adults who have also, you know, you know, found themselves and, and decided to live their authentic self um, after the coming out of the pandemic. So definitely we've created a space for individuals for their first pride. And we also have two, we have on Friday, Saturday night, we have an older adult stage and we also have a younger adult stage. So we've also created space where these young people, seniors can also participate in the festivity. I am, I am incredibly excited to, to kind of see the, the, really the excitement in the street, you know, and I, and I think that there is something to be said about that. You know, we talk, we're syndicated all over the country and uh, folks from coast to coast to coast uh, listen to our show. And uh, we, you know, we, we do realize that Toronto is often, you know, a bit of the, bit of the center of the universe. But mm -hmm. I remember the first time I went to Toronto Pride and there is something truly powerful about going to such a overwhelming almost 
sense of community and and togetherness and um, just it's just the the volume and the space. It's really quite powerful, and I yeah, it's certainly it's also something. one of the world's largest prides. It depends on the year, but it's always top five in terms of number of events, number of attendees. Uh, it, it's it's a very large event, and it's it's kind of a nice lab where you can do experiments that a lot of smaller prides can't really afford to either, they can't afford to do it or they can't afford to take a chance on it. So a lot of this diversity planning, it sounds really exciting to me because I know that here in Ottawa, uh, back when I sat on the committee, there were people in the community who complained that there weren't enough events for the diverse community. Now, there were a lot of events out there, but um, I had this one acquaintance who's from, I think he was from Mozambique. And he said, one of the issues is that Afro-Caribbeans just have a different notion of what it means to be a fun party. And I said, well, what was a fun party to you? And he said, well, first it has to be live music, no DJs. And second, everything has to be about food. You need like a whole range of food trucks there yes. and have your African tea style event where it's all about food. And you need to be able to yell at the band and actually like, ooh, having a good time, like play this song and maybe they ignore you, maybe they jam with you, whatever. But it's more about facing inwards than everyone facing the stage. And he's like, if there's no food, it's not fun. And I said, well, that sounds like an easy event. He said, every time he tries to pitch some kind of, you know, Afro-Caribbean um, weekend tea style party, it just falls on, on flat ears because it's such a risk to do something that's that different. And it sounds obvious that that would be a good time. There's a lot of parties that like Oktoberfest is kind of like that. So it's not a completely foreign idea, but to take a chance and do that at Pride, I think you need somewhere like Toronto to be able to take a chance and prove to Canada and possibly the world that events like this in your community can be successful. And I'm very interested to see what the turnout and results and the responses to events like this. No, most definitely. And, you know, we have 13 community curators um, from Brownout um, to you know, Yellow Barra to the drag queens. And, and I mean, and the list goes on, mm -hmm. you know, um, Blanco, which is the stage for, you know, black folks have been, I mean, historically, the lineup, you could be in line for over an hour to get into that space. Um, you know, the brown out where it really reflect brown, brown folks. So it's really making sure that folks are able to see themselves. But we talk about food. Um, for example, this year we're piloting our food truck zone. So okay. we're going to have 17 food trucks representing diverse community in our food truck zone where, you know, picnic tables where folks can just go and enjoy, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some good food. One of the things that we're also doing this year, realizing, again, harm reduction very important for us. We will not be selling water on our footprint. So water will be free for everyone because again, we want folks to be hydrated. Folks mm -hmm. are coming out after two years of a buildup, mm -hmm. folks are going to be excited. We want them to be excited. We want them to, to have a good time. So we will be focusing on making sure that folks also stay safe. Now, are you going to have those really cool mist machines that I've seen at some <laughs> events where they, you just walk through a bit of a mist to cool down, a, a cooling station, essentially? I, uh, I we, hope so. 
we're definitely we're definitely working on it but as you know <laughs> with pride pride comes with a rainbow so we're not hoping for rain mm. but you know it's i have not been to a pride where at some point in time over the weekend we did not get a rainbow um so yes but we're still working on some of those pieces to ensure that you know people can be can stay cool um we also identify that you know COVID is still very present um so common touch surface we've actually brought on a cleaning company that will be helping us commonly touch surface like porta potty doors etc will constantly be clean throughout the festival again just to give folks that little bit more of assurance you know there is such a an incredible liability with hosting a, an event this size uh you know it was interesting you mentioned about uh the, the stage for black folks that was really designed and put together by the, uh, by the black community you know i feel like that's not a that was a hard learned lesson for pride toronto you know it was one of the focal complaints during the black lives matter protest in the parade a few years ago you know that sort of underfunding you mentioned the hour long wait to, to get into it you know they are i think how seriously it is being taken now can very clearly draw a line to where those voices were really heard a few years ago um you know what other elements are you are you rolling out from more hard learned lessons that prides have to deal with? And so, and again, and don't ask me the follow up question because we're <laughs> going to keep this towards the, the the festival for this month. And this conversation started before um, the KPMG report, but we had on June fourth at Dunsview Park. We partnered with Two Spirits Toronto and hosted the first Two Spirit powwow in the city of Toronto. And I am telling you, there were people from Tandabi. There were people that flew in from other provinces to be part of this amazing celebration that had over 3,000 individuals. I mean, these are the kind of stuff that we're doing. Um, we also heard from the indigenous community and again, all of these conversations happened within the first six months of me starting at Pride Toronto that they wanted to be more visible. And as such, they're going to be doing some additional programs on Saturday on top of the work that they're doing on Sunday. So there is definitely that piece of really making sure that BIPOC individuals are truly and authentically represented in all the work that we do. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to us today. Hopefully, no matter who is listening, that they are inspired to know that the festival this year will be uh, accommodating, accessible, and incredibly diverse. I was personally very impressed by the, the lineup of the show. Um, I want to thank you again so much, and uh, we'll be jumping to our first track. This is The Old Me by Rhea May. Thank you again so much, Shuin, and uh, we'll awesome. maybe connect uh, after the after the festival. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I can feel your eyes, feel your eyes on me. I can win awards for pretending. Ask me how I've been and I hold my tongue. Yeah, everything is 
Welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith, and uh, I am joined by Sebastian, and we are also being joined by uh, Evan, who is the program manager that we are going to be, uh, sorry, program director, uh, that we're going to be speaking to from the Health Initiative for Men um, over, over the P&P and Me project. And I believe everyone is now unmuted thank you uh thank you both for for joining thank you for having me excellent uh now just uh i think this is a really interesting initiative it essentially is a 16-week group counseling program to support individuals who identify as uh in identifying and achieving health goals related to sexualized substance use now on our show over many, many, many years, we have discussed the fact that the LGBT community, specifically the gay male community, um, has used substances during sexualized, well, during during intercourse, you know. <laughs> I wasn't sure where I was going with that then. I was like, "That's there's a word missing here, I think. Um, and, you know, it came up in our conversations a couple of weeks ago about monkeypox and, um, you know, we brought this up before as well but 
your the new initiative from the health initiative for men i think is really quite interesting in that it uh, has sort of an incentive structure in place that has been proven to be very effective elsewhere so evan do you mind telling us a little bit about what the program is and and maybe why this particular model was chosen mm -hmm. no thank you so much um you quite accurately described like the basic structure of it like the 16 week long program um and other aspects that kind of surround it too is that we have um, over the year we have three cohorts that kind of go through it um, and these individuals these participants um, are able to go through one-on-one -on -one sessions as well with the clinician so not only are they able to go through group counseling um, as well as uh, peer-led drop-in sessions but they're also able to have access to a clinician to um, have one-on-one -on -one counseling sessions um, and you, uh, you uh, mentioned um, that kind of like incentive structure. So this is specific to a therapeutic approach called contingency management. It is quite successful. And um, in other um, programs, we see that it has around an 80% um, success rate as far as uh, participants accomplishing their goals. Um, how we structured ours is a little bit different as opposed to aiming for abstinence, which um, can be quite restrictive to a lot of individuals who are actually going through a harm reduction model. Um, we, as we understand and as we believe, people have full autonomy over their bodies and they know what they need to go through in order to achieve their own health goals. Of course, in the end, many of our participants do have abstinence as their end goal, uh, but they reach it through a harm reduction approach. So, so just for our, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the, with the language that we're using here, mm -hmm. um, let's say I am a, a gay man in Vancouver. And uh, I rather, I, I, for various personal reasons, uh, I use um, maybe methamphetamines or something during, during, you know, when I'm when I'm meeting up with other gentlemen is the uh, mm -hmm. is the the phrase I'm going to use if I, I connect with a gentleman caller. So, you know, if I have a goal of maybe, you know, scaling back the amount of this drug that I'm using or, you know, even ending my use of it entirely, you know, what does that look like with me going through this program? How would I, how would I start off as Vancouver gay man that uses methamphetamine to Vancouver gay man that uses less or no methamphetamine? Like what's yeah, that so, process look um, like? Yeah, definitely. So a lot of that, how that kind of goes is that initially you may contact with us um, to kind of get into the program through an intake, just to see if like you're the right fit specifically, like if you're looking to reduce your use, um, if you're within our gender mandate, so specifically gay, bi, queer men and gender diverse peoples, um, and then entering that program. And a part of this process is kind of like figuring out what your goals are and meeting your goals each week if you're able to. Um, and of course, uh, what your goal is, is totally dependent um, on you and your choice. Um, we have a lot of participants that are looking to do abstinence at the end, so that way they can quit their use. But we also have a lot of participants that just want to reduce their overall usage. So as opposed to going on, let's say like three or four day binges, they would prefer just to use like once a week, for example. And that's something that we're very supportive of as well. Um, and it's still all achievable underneath the structure of the CM program or uh, contingency management program. What kind of, is, is there a general profile that you're looking for in terms of the nature of the substance abuse? Because like, a, in the community, it's not uncommon to meet people who have, you know, issues maybe with internalized homophobia, or maybe they have a, a history of sexual abuse. 
and they have troubles uh, engaging in sex because of anxieties. They, they may drink or they may abuse. Uh, I say abuse. When I say abuse marijuana or alcohol, I mean they take a lot of it in order to be able to like de-anxiety themselves enough to perform. And there comes a point where they, they realize it's just not as fun when you're so blasted out of your mind you don't know what's happening. Um, does that fall under there as well or are you focused more on illicit certain kinds or is it just the the dependency itself that is the focus so that's a really good question and i think it's important to recognize that um quite often in individuals it's almost always more than just one substance that's being used mm-hmm. and um, in public health um uh we would refer to that as like a poly substance use pattern mm-hmm. um so although the program is specifically around stimulants um so things like that you'd expect to like crystal meth, of course, being like the most prevalent one. Mm-hmm. We also acknowledge that a lot of clients use other um, substances at the same time. And the same kind of uh, process of the program, although the language is specific around like stimulants, mm-hmm. it can also really be easily transferred to other um, substances as well. So if they are um, indeed a poly substance user, they're able to um, use the same techniques while doing our program to kind of address those needs as well. Um, but uh, the entry requirement based off of um, the funding that we received uh, from our partners is that they have to use stimulants um, in order to uh, qualify for the program. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean that they have to only use stimulants. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a, all things being equal, these are our priorities. It's not like you, you, you're you afraid of your alcohol abuse, so you're out of the program. It's just that, unfortunately, because of the nature of your funding, there's other people who move to the head of the line. Yeah, I think it's worth giving a bit of context here. You know, okay. obviously, you know, the Health Initiative mainly is based out of Vancouver. And, uh, you know, in BC, the recent report from the BC Coroner's Office found that 9,400 people had uh, died from uh, from the overdose uh, in the last six years. You know, it is oh, wow. an incredibly serious, serious issue that is taking many, many, many lives. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I noted in the sort of material that came about this initiative is the concern about how gay, bisexual men and queer men and so on are disproportionately affected by the toxic drug supply. And, and that's really what the issue is, is that the drugs that are out there that some folks are using uh, are deadly, you know, mm. above and beyond their normal, uh, you know, uh, normal impacts. They are they are deadly in, and uh, have uh, killed 9,400 people already in BC in the last uh, six years. So specifically, I think the BC government was looking at uh, crystal methamphetamine and these sort of tainted drug supplies. Mm. You know, what I find really interesting is this initiative is essentially saying... Yes, there are gay men in Vancouver or in BC, because you operate across the province, that are using crystal methamphetamine. And there are many initiatives out there to help with with abstinence and so on and so forth. But this is a very tailored approach to get uh, these, uh, these men and gender diverse people to really meet with each other. I believe a lot of it is peer-based, so shared experience and, and kind of garnering that buy-in. But also what I thought was really interesting was the contingency management uh, approach. Now, just for those who aren't familiar with that, essentially uh, my understanding of it is is that if those who at- attend the meetings will be given a small voucher for, I think even a museum visit is one of the things that was listed as a potential voucher. Uh, um, other 
other initiatives like this have done grocery store vouchers and so on and so forth. But it's just to kind of create that positive association with going. Uh, it sounds a little Pavlovian to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say. I mean, it, it, is, it is just a smidge on the Pavlovian side. Um, but, you know. I looked up. I looked up this initiative, like this, this, uh, this, this management, this contingency management, and it was really interesting in how much more effective it was at the individual level at creating yeah. that consistent buy-in. You know, is this the way that you think you're going that uh, him is going to be able to work with individuals and sort of instead of tackling all of the homos that are using crystal methamphetamine you're going to be working with you know these cohorts of 25 30 in batches and really make a concentrated effort on those individuals i would say so yes um we're we're very confident that our clinician has actually made the curriculum as well um and has also res uh like refer back to a lot of those pre-existing materials and we made it a little bit more queer friendly a lot of these other programs are not specific to uh queer folk at times um so it's a lot taking a lot of these like materials and then making it uh more tailored towards our communities um and continuity management does rely on operant conditioning to some degree so i can definitely see the, <laughs> the parallels to pavlov um but yeah the associations with incentives are very vital um a lot of programs will do things like um small uh, gift cards, for example. What we do, we do uh, vouchers for five, 10 and $15 that can be exchanged for um, like products or goods like those museum passes, which have been quite popular or they can be paid out as well. So as opposed to exchanging it for a museum pass, some individuals will wait for the two weeks and then get paid their amount. Um, they're given those incentives by attending uh, counseling groups as well as achieving their goals. So they set a goal in one group and then they accomplish that goal by the next group, they get an additional draw from a fishbowl. Um, one thing that does make our program different is that it's very human-based. Um, in other contingency management programs where they do uh, the fishbowl model where they draw from a fishbowl to get an amount um, after they accomplish a goal. Um, in those other programs, some of those draws are essentially, uh, uh, sorry, you lost, but it was like, um, and then like a motivational quote. Um, whereas in our instance, we have no losing draws, like it's five, 10 or 15, because I found it very condescending, like, hey, you accomplished a goal, but there's a chance that you're going to get nothing from it from other than a motivational saying. Um, so as opposed to going through that approach, we decided to make it a little bit more um, equity-based, just a little bit more human. You know, I, I feel like our listeners might be thinking, well, well, this is a lot. You know, we're giving people museum passes to not do crystal meth. Like, that's, it seems quite extreme. But if, if stepping back and, and, and stepping away from these addictions was easy, um, you, know, you know, I don't think it would be quite the endemic issue that it is. You know, this is certainly at the individual level, a, a, an unbelievably difficult challenge uh, for folks. And the, you know, the one-on-one -on -one sessions with a clinician's uh, specialist, the peer-to-peer -peer, uh, sessions, the group sessions, all of these things combined, it really is, you folks are taking a multi-pronged approach to not only incentivize them to actually attend and, and stick with it, um, but really, you know, coming at it from every sort of learning method that uh, that seems to that, that that might work. What are your thoughts on how successful this might be? 
we're expecting it to be quite successful. Um, just so far, like we've seen higher attendance rates in our program than previous programs um, that worked using contingency management program models, um, as well as just like looking at other addictions programming from other organizations where they have like up to 70% of participants drop, we have maintained around um, like 80% of our participants. Um, of course, participants drop for multiple reasons, some of them have been sent to go to other treatment programs, for example, by social workers or um, just because they are moving. Um, so there are a lot of other situations around that. So just to kind of track back on something you said about like that multi-pronged approach, a lot of what um, the Health Initiative for Men does is that we use this endemics model um, for HIV to kind of guide all of our work. So the idea is that um, HIV reduction might be the end goal, but there are multiple ways to kind of go about it. And we see a lot of our work in the same way. That's why we offer such a wide variety of things. Um, so not just uh, like STI testing at our clinic or mental health programming, but also social programming and other physical wellness. Uh, more things that you can address, the more likely you can keep people within the community and also kind of um, attach them to uh, to a greater sense of self, as it were. So the same uh, approach is taken with uh, substances, for example. So being able to connect um, uh, community members to each other or people that have gone through the same thing, building those social connections, it can really help reduce their use. And um, it's doubly helpful to have them connected with other people that have used before in the past or are currently using um, because they have that shared peer lived experience, which is, um, probably the cornerstone of this program really is just like that social connection aspect of it because it's super isolating otherwise. There's a lot of research behind that. And and I know that for a lot of people, the idea of group therapy just sounds like this cheap cop-out that you do when you can't afford real therapy. But there's actually a lot of uh, uh, research showing that combinations of group and individual, especially if it's group heavy, mostly group with occasional individual therapy is actually incredibly effective. And it seems to be more effective with men in general I mean, whenever you talk about the difference between male and female psychology, the best you can say is bell curves and more likely to, but still they have found that, that group therapy works very, very well with men. And a lot of it has to do with just communication, having the new people coming in, listening to the people who've been around for a while, because the new people coming in often don't have the words for what they're trying to say. Like, I feel this way, but I don't know how to express it. And then the other people who are already there, they can say it for you, as opposed to the therapist puts words in your mouth. That, that has a different tone than overhearing somebody else going through the same thing as you. And, and like, it seems obvious if, if you've read the literature or you've been around therapy or if you've been thinking about this, but just like for the, the listener's sake, there's a, a lot of, of research around, you know, we may have been selling group therapy short for decades now. And there, there's been this small renaissance in getting people together to talk about their problems in terms of its effectiveness. The, the, last, the last thing I wanted to, to touch on before we uh, part ways here is uh, really the idea that this is a bit of a pilot project. And I think that oh. was what really, you know, what really made me curious to invite you on the, on the show is, you know, of course, BC has been incredibly hard hit by the opioid pandemic. And, uh, you know, like I said, 9,600 folks uh, lost uh, in the last six years. But it's not the only part of Canada that has been impacted by a toxic drug mm -hmm. supply. And it's certainly not the only part of Canada with a gay community that is using drugs. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I think it's really interesting that part of your design and a part of your thinking in creating this program is how can it be replicated elsewhere in the country? Was that a, a like a, a conscious effort to make it as uh, adaptable or adoptable as possible? I think in general, that should be the practice for any like new initiative when it comes to public health. Like I have a background in, in public health. I have an MPH. And I think it's really important to be able to create easy guiding programming in order to do that. So we are a pilot program within uh, the Metro Vancouver region, and we're the first among many groups that will be doing a contingency management program for specific populations. And once we're done our like initial run through of our program, our model will be used for these other groups within the greater Vancouver area. Um, and with some adoptions and changes, uh, adaptations, uh, I should say, um, to the programming to better fit populations. But I think in the end, um, the kind of contingency management program that we're running can definitely be scaled up to be ran across Canada by other health initiatives or other organizations that have the resources to do it um, because it is effective. Um, and although the cohorts uh, might seem small um, by comparison, these things have a tendency of snowballing, right? So we make one positive change that can lead to multiple positive changes. And then as you change the lives of multiple people, they're going to try and reach out to the people in their lives and say, hey, this helped me a lot, this might help you. And that kind of positive social support network is vital um, and is something that I think is definitely achievable within Canada. Well, I want to thank you so much, uh, Evan, for coming and joining us uh, here, the program director for this initiative at the uh, Health Initiative for Men in, uh, in Vancouver um, and covering most of BC. Thank you so much for joining us and telling us about uh, this effort. Thank you so much. Um, and before I jump off, may I give off a point of contact just in case anyone is interested? Absolutely. For folks in BC, go ahead. Thank you. So the best way to get in touch with us about the CM program is to email us at peer at checkhimout.ca. That's spelled P-E-E-R at checkhimout.ca. Excellent. Thank you so much. We're going to be jumping now to Prodigal Daughter by Lights. I accidentally turned it on about a smidge too earlier, <laughs> too early earlier. Um, but this is Prodigal Daughter by Lights, and we'll be back just after this. Flip 
Welcome back to Cancri, home of Canada's queer medium. My name is Luke Smith. Yeah. And uh, we are being joined by Sebastian, still on the line. Hello. Now, earlier I may have told a bit of a bit of a fib, may have misled our wonderful audience. <gasps> I know, I know. I said that we were going to talk about Rebel Wilson. And uh, amazingly, you didn't know about this. I mean... I, very I large block you're hiding under, I think. I, I, I looked it up on, on a break, but I've been I've been paying attention to other things. So well, yeah, um, I'm, I'm gonna just invite our listeners to to look up the Rebel Wilson uh, uh, story. I want to just start off first of all by talking about uh, Asia, so, mainly because of some really fantastic news out of Thailand. <laughs> Okay, I was going to say all of Asia. All yes, I'm now going to spend the next uh, 10 minutes discussing the entirety of Asia. No, no, no. Um, oh. There was some great uh, coverage of the Bangkok Pride in Thailand. It is uh, the first Pride that's been able to happen in person there for a while. I believe the mayor of Bangkok uh, also attended. But the reason why it is particularly, the reason why I wanted to bring up uh, Asia and Bangkok in particular is because uh, Thailand people have been using very weird phrasing like the first southeast asian country but uh thailand is now following taiwan okay. in introducing legalized same-sex unions in the country so okay. this is pretty big news for thai folks um and sort of a, a bit of a sea change happening in in asia uh, with taiwan sort of leading the way and now thailand uh, following suit. So for folks in Thailand, this means that they can now adopt, they can now co-own property together. I mean, it really is opening up a lot of the, the civil rights that uh, folks have in partnerships. I just this, thought it's some good news. This is great yeah. news. Is, is it marriage in name also, or is it like civil union it's, type it's, of thing? It's not, it's, it's not marriage. They, they did not use that word. It's same-sex okay. unions. Okay. Um, you know, and... You know, we've been covering gay news for a long time, and and it's a bit of a process. You know, I think step one is having the same legal rights. Yes. Very important to have that. And then uh, for folks who are particularly religious and want to have a religious marriage, you know, that's, a, that's another conversation again. So in terms of the equalizing of rights, I think this is fantastic news out of Thailand. One of the first countries, I think it was Uruguay, one of the reasons why they passed it so quickly was because they had always had separate marriages and civil unions. And it was just, if you want to get married, go to a church. We give out civil union uh, documents. So extending that to same-sex couples is not a big deal. And they're just like, if the church doesn't want to marry you, that's their business. We'll talk about that later. So, I mean, having separate civil union and institutionalized marriage documentation, it's a lot of... A lot of places have kind of gone down that route as a as a way of sort of balancing the traditional with the modern. Um, 
But, you know, if Thailand's doing this, then that's, you know, good for them. It's something. I did want to mention, uh, you're familiar with Omegle, I assume. Whoa, whoa. That's familiar. Yeah, it's nope. like that that online, it randomly connects you with people on webcams and then they chat. Oh, right. Chat it's, it's like uh, after chat, chat roulette. Yeah, it's a chat roulette type thing. Yeah. 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 So essentially there was a 17-year-old, a Canadian 17-year-old, who believe in the sort of Toronto Peel area, um, who had, with holding a, a weapon, uh, had made threats, very detailed and very explicit threats against the West Palm Beach Pride events, the Pride on the Block. Um, the West Palm Police uh, then contacted the FBI, who then contacted the RCMP, who then contacted Toronto Police, who then contacted Peel Police, and the 17-year-old Canadian has now been arrested for uttering these death threats. And wow. the reason why I bring it up is because that, you know, there are Canadians here who are sadly filled with hate in, in the most vile way possible, uh, we had reports last weekend during what would have been a fantastic Pride weekend in Winnipeg where a man was seen going around tearing down Pride flags. Wow. Uh, in Windsor, Ontario, there was a school there that had one flag torn down and stolen and then the replacement flag set on fire, which then caught the Canadian flag on fire. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Canada is uh, certainly struggling with some extreme hate against the gay community. And it is incredibly dangerous. And I, I was going to ask uh, um, Sherwin about this at uh, Toronto Pride, but at DC Pride, uh, the Capitol Pride in Washington, DC in the United States, at the end of the parade, when everyone was just hanging out in the parks and sort of slowly going about the rest of their day, a massive panic ensued and everyone started running in a certain direction because there was a gun scare. No, there was no gun. There was okay. no sound of a gun, but the idea spread like a wildfire. And there's footage of just people panicking and running for their lives out mm -hmm. of this uh, DC Pride Parade last weekend because people thought that there could have mm -hmm. been a gunman. Um, it is really quite uh, quite extreme. And, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we're following the Canadian hate stories in particular um, as they as they progress. Now, I got one story for you, which I think was a little interesting and a bit, uh, maybe a bit convoluted. Okay. So, the, uh, in Winnipeg, right. the, uh, the, the premier of Winnipeg, Stevenson, uh, Heather Stevenson, was invited to participate in the Pride event. Now, the previous premiers had come, come, given a big speech, had some lovely photos taken with nice rainbow backdrops, but then just, like, ditched walking in the Pride Parade. Which is, yeah. We're here for the photos. We're here yep, to yep. tell everyone how much your, your votes are important to us, but not, uh, not going to walk in the parade. Mm -hmm. um, so Pride Winnipeg made it a requirement that anyone who speaks at the opening ceremonies walks in the parade. Okay. So essentially, they are saying that you have to literally walk mm -hmm. the walk mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. in the Pride Parade. Now, um, now we've had people here in Ottawa who wanted to attend, you know, the flag raising but couldn't make the parade, and on their own volition. Because I remember this, I was on the Pride Committee at the time, on their own volition. They said they would stand at the front, but they would be at the side. Uh, they wouldn't be front and center. They wouldn't hog the limelight. They wouldn't be in the center of every photograph. They wouldn't talk on the mic. They would show up, have their presence known, 
and then do something else. And it was actually, I think, you probably know who it is. It's probably Ottawa's most uh, active uh, uh, local politician. Uh, well, I mean, at the federal level. Um, I'll tell you who it is later because we're not promoting it yeah, right now. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, usually politicians are aware of the optics. You know, if you mm-hmm. can't completely commit to a thing, but you do want to show up and support, you show up, you support, and you don't make it about yourself. Well, what and- was interesting is Premier Stephenson said, look, I had another event and legitimately did. I think there was a sick event uh, mm-hmm. later that day in, in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just like awkwardly side shuffle out of the parade mm-hmm. would have been really awkward. They say it was a miscommunication. Pride organizers in Winnipeg feel like they were just set up for a photo op. Um, I don't know. It's difficult. You know, politicians are busy. It's important yes. they go and reach and speak to all of their constituents, yep. not just uh, not just the gay community. Mm-hmm. But I think we have to balance. You know, are we be ju- are we just being used as a photo op, or are you genuinely quite busy? You know, yeah. and, and I think that's that's a challenge. <laughs> having technical difficulties on your end uh and yeah i mean it's it's definitely (sighs) weekends are busy especially in the summer for a lot of politicians so you know pinning somebody down for long enough to even give a speech or even have a photo op um can be pretty difficult sometimes for for some people and fair enough like as i said the the more level-headed mature ones basically say well if that's the case i won't show up for half of it, you know, I'll show it and give my support, but I won't give speeches or I won't march in the parade, but not do anything before or after. Like they'll, they, usually you get people who are pretty realistic, but I don't know, it, not doing anything could be weird, but then the answer is maybe the parade is not that one thing that you do. There's <laughs> other, there's other venues in general, because when I was reading this article, all I could think was, um, this was definitely a miscommunication at some point. Oh time, yeah, this, this is you know this is right hand not talking to left hand. Oh yeah, hands down. And, yeah, and it seemed that like the I don't know if the pride committee made it clear that if you give the speech you walk in the parade. Maybe they assumed that everybody had read all the literature. And I can tell you as somebody who writes the literature, like my job is I write documentation for a living. Most people do not read the little pamphlet that comes with their new headphones or whatever. And then they shock themselves when they plug mm-hmm. it in wrong. And then they're surprised. So it, it's if you want somebody to do the thing the way you want them to do and you have them on the phone, just take that extra second and say, yeah. by the way, can you definitely just triple check to avoid embarrassment? Well, yeah. we have run out of time. I want to thank uh, both my guests for joining us earlier today. Thank you, Sebastian, for joining us uh, remotely for today's show. We are playing out with... A Canadian queer icon, Jackie Shane. This is a very oh, yeah. old track. Very oh, yes. old track. This is coming down, and uh, we will be back next week. Thank you for listening. Yes. Coming down.